Hi, this is Dan Corver, uh, pastor here at Dalton Hill Baptist Church. <clears throat> we're a small Baptist church located in Owasso, Oklahoma. We're small enough to know you, but we're big enough to serve you and for you to serve as well. Our vision is to rescue, restore, and return to service. Rescue a non-believer or a believer who has been hurt or is lost. Restoring them to Christ in fellowship with other believers with the desire that they in turn will help others along their way. We've been uh, going, just started a new series on uh, Paul. If you remember last week, we saw the first part, and like I said, because of the magnitude of just looking at Paul, we'll only hit parts, and so if I don't hit the part that you like, just let me know, and when I get done, I'll let you do your part. (laughs) That's fair enough, isn't it? If you remember last week, you saw the uh, goads that uh, Paul talked about, and if you remember, he had a stellar upbringing so far as Jewish uh, upbringing would go, being uh, trained as he was in the, in the teachings of the fair, of the uh, of the Pharisees and so on. He was probably a well-trained Jew uh, with the Old Testament, but then you had the preaching of the apostles that he heard. You also had the preaching that you also had the prophets. So when it talks about the goads, you think about it, here he sees the preaching and you hear the, the Gamaliel saying what he does and then you hear the men who are willing to uh, be persecuted for it, even Stephen being killed for it, his difference in spirit. Those are then things that are getting to him and uh, obviously going to then to persecute and get those in Damascus and God shows him, uh, Christ meets him on the road he then starts sharing the light, and uh, Paul never forgot that. I think it's critical for all of us when Paul, in first, when he writes right there at the end of his life, "I'm chief among sinners." Paul, and so I think we can, if you want a summary for Paul, he probably could say grace and grit. He never forgot the grace God gave him. I think it's part of why he could then minister to people even when they are persecuting him as badly as they did. He recognized that God gave him grace, he would do the same to them. In fact, it's amazing to me, when I look in the book of Romans, the Jewish people, non-believers, persecuted him severely. But remember, he said, if I could, I'd go to hell if they could, for them to go to heaven. Now, that's amazing. It's amazing. Today, we're going to look at another one. I think it's difficult, I think, for a lot of us. But as we're looking through the story of Paul... A few years ago, if you remember, I did a study or taught a little series on the barrenness of a busy life. You get so busy, you can be very barren. And we all get busy, and uh, so it's so busy that we run out of time to rest, to refuel, to redirect, to rethink. And I think what happens is then you can really get to where you just burn out. And so a lot of people quit do a lot of different things when they're burnt out. In fact, you think in the Old Testament, you remember Saul wouldn't let his his men uh, eat and stuff when they were fighting the Philistines, and they ran out of fuel, literally, and the, the uh, victory was not as great because they did not have the strength. David, if you remember when he was talking about after the, the enemy had conquered his uh, all the wives and children, he stopped to take time to ask God what he should do and basically said he was refreshed in the Lord. And I think it's important. Most of us wouldn't have taken the time. We would have just taken off and pursued and not asked the Lord. But if you wanted to title it today, I would think Solitude, Silence, 
and sleep. Anybody need any of those? You know, I think it's interesting. I think a lot of us really look at it. I remember who the lady was. You remember the black lady when something happened and remember her quote? I ain't got time for this. And she says it about two or three times and it's all over the TV. I think a lot of us get to that place in our life. We're so busy that we don't think we have time for things. But I don't think we really realize in Paul's life some of the different things where he had it. So if you remember, let's go to the book of Acts. It would be in Acts 9 and Galatians 1 primarily. Galatians was the first book that Paul, on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote. But in Acts chapter 9, that's where you have his conversion, if you remember, <clears throat> when he meets Christ on the road to Damascus. And you have his conversion, and uh, you notice in 17, his sight was restored. He was filled with the Holy Spirit, and uh, then he was then later baptized. <coughs> And verse 18 and 19, and he takes food and he strengthened. Remember, he hadn't eaten or he hadn't drunk anything for three days. And then you'll notice what happens. Then you start, uh, he goes off and he, verse 20, begins to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying that he is the Son of God. If you remember, he the day before he would have denied that. And all who heard it were amazed and said, Isn't this the one who came from Jerusalem to destroy those who called on this name, who has come here for the purpose to bring them and bound them to chief priests? Saul kept increasing in strength and founding the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. Okay, obviously, knowing his Old Testament background, when he realized that Christ was fulfilling the promise and fulfilled the promises, he could start doing that. So here you have his conversion. He's doing great. But it's interesting than what happens between verse 22 and 23, how much time do you have? Do you realize how much time there's a time gap there? When many days had, clapped, uh, had elapsed, the Jewish plotted to put him to death. Their plot became known to Saul, and they were also watching the gates day and night. His disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowered him in a large vessel. What took place between verse 22 and 23? Look over in the book of Galatians. It'll tell us. Paul is writing in the book of Galatians, chapter 1. It's interesting what you have. And I think one of the keys, you start in verse 10. Paul writes, For I... Seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I still striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Jesus Christ. So what was he originally trying to do? Please men. That's what it says. He's not now. Let's keep reading. You notice then, he did not... uh, I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached to me is not according to men. I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it. I received it through the revelation of Jesus Christ. You have heard of my former life, manner of life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure, tried to destroy it. I was advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen, being more extreme zealous from ancestral traditions. And when he who set me apart, even from a mother's womb, called me through his grace, was pleased to 
revealed his son to me that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. I went away to Arabia and returned once more to Damascus. That's what took place between 22 and 23 of the book of Acts. But notice, how long was he there? Three years. Three years. So notice then, he, you think about it, during that three years, if you look at the <laughs> desert outside of Damascus, you know, we don't know exactly where, but for three years, Paul is in solitude with his scripture, the Holy Spirit, and God's revealing things to him. He goes from being a man, one who wants to please man to one who wants to please his Savior. So when he comes back and he meets with them in Jerusalem and so on, it's totally different than what it was. How many of us stop and think about the solitude God wants us to have time and solitude? Most of us can't do three years. I know Bill, when he was in pastoring, they gave him a summer off for sabbatical. Most of us don't get a summer off. Uh, Reb Swindoll, you know, when he was down in Dallas, pastor there, and they gave him six weeks off. Well, most people don't get six weeks off. But how many of us need a time to get away? But when we get away, we have to be quiet. I read about a lawyer this last week, very busy lawyer. Once a year, he goes to a monastery. Well, he's at the monastery for what reason? Can you talk in the monastery? No. No. So he goes there silence to just listen his Bible to pray and what does God have to say but how many of us are willing to just stop and listen what does God have to say it's interesting when you look at it if you keep then uh, you know, look a little more about with Paul it's interesting when you have uh, you have this right here you can stay it in, in uh, Galatians since you're already there so he was there he sees Cephas Peter uh, for 15 days he didn't see anybody else except for James for a short period of time and then it says he goes away to Syria and Sicily now you'll find that uh, and in 22 he was still unknown by sight to the churches of Judea the Jewish churches don't know him how long was that time in Sicily and Syria do you know how long that is three years in Arabia he comes back. Go back to the book of Acts and see if we can pick up on it. Acts chapter 9. They let him out of a basket. He goes, he's been in Arabia. He's come back and let him out. He tries to go to Jerusalem. You remember they were afraid, so it only met, meets a couple of them. And you'll notice in verse 27, Barnabas took hold of him, brought him to the apostles, described them how he had seen the Lord on the road, and that he had talked with him and how at Damascus he had spoken out boldly in the name of the Lord. And he was with them, moving about freely in Jerusalem, speaking out boldly in the name of the Lord. And he was talking and arguing with the Hellenistic Jews, but they were attempting to put him to death. When the brethren learned of this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus, which is where he's from originally. And then it says the church had the time of peace in Judea, Galilee, and Samaria. Okay, so you, Paul's in, where's Paul at? He's at Tarsus, okay? So you have all this great, uh, he's there. How long was he there? Church now gets spread to Antioch. Go to chapter 11. 
And they send Barnabas down to Antioch in verse 22. The Jerusalem church does. And uh, verse 23 of chapter 11. Then he had come and witnessed the grace of God. He encouraged and began encouraging them all with a resolved heart to remain true to the Lord. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. Considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. And he left for Tarsus to look for who? Saul. Folks, that's nine years later. Three years, he's in the desert. Nine years, he's serving Ad in Syria. Basically, that we know nothing about other than he's serving the Gentile church. So think about it. Twelve years of Paul's life, the book of Acts has very little to say about what he's doing other than he was serving. Three years he is getting training with the Holy Spirit in solitude. And then he blooms where God has him planted. Now then, he, Barnabas brings him on and then in chapter 13, set apart for me Paul and Barnabas and the missionary journey start. And I think it's important. Most of us, when we see somebody who comes to know Christ and they got great abilities, we immediately want to do what? We immediately want to thrust them into places. And a lot of times they need that solitude, that silence, and really working with what God wants. Otherwise, that's why you have in 1 Timothy and so on, it, that pride can come in and really set in. And so I think it's interesting just for this part of it, stop and think about it. He was transformed from within and not conformed from without. He starts off wanting to please men. And he probably would have continued that way, humanly speaking, had he been with the apostles and everybody else right away. God had him in, a, in the desert just with his Bible. And obviously, being trained in the Old Testament, he would know it. Working through all the different things that were said about Christ and looking at it. But how many of us, when we want to take time to be away, I know I was talking to my brother Bill. It's been a while back when they, the college was trying to come up with a mission statement. And he said, boy, it was a long, tedious process, and we did all this. And then he said, but I'm glad that we did. Uh, I know we had uh, uh, Glenn and Grady and, and others we, when he met with for the, to do the mission statement even here. Sometimes you think, well, that's a lot of time to spend, but you really want to think through it. But how many of us are really looking at it? So think about this with Paul, just on talking about the solitude and silence. He had Scripture, he had the Holy Spirit, solitude and silence. How many of us, when we get out there, how many of you can't stand silence? I mean, the radio's on, I mean, everything. There's something going on all the time. And so, I mean, God has to yell in order to get over everything. And I think a lot of times we need the Scripture and the solitude and if we only can get five minutes, we only get 15, we take the time that we need. I think second thing is, uh, it's interesting, do we want to speed up or slow down to take inventory? How many of you have sped up so much that you miss out on stuff? If you don't believe it, how many of you all of a sudden will go down the road and you're with somebody and go, when was that built? And they said, well, that was three years ago. And you've been on that same road every single day and you haven't seen it? We are so busy. What about, are we seeking a place of power 
pleasing men or a place of service pleasing the Savior. Total revolutionary change in Paul. He went from wanting to please men to becoming a servant pleasing the Savior. That's why he writes to me, to live as Christ and die as gain. I'd rather be absent from the body and be present with the Lord. There's a lot of things he wrote. So let's think about that. That's not this solitude and so on is not true for so many others. What about Joseph? You know, you, we know these stories well, so you don't have to turn to them. In Genesis 37, in verse 2, how old was Joseph when he had his dreams? Seventeen. Okay, he had his dream. If you remember in verse 4, his dad gives him the coat of many colors. He had ten older brothers. And of course, they're very jealous. Then he has the dream. Seventeen-year-old, you go to your older brothers, you think about how much older they would be, some of them. And what do you tell them? You're going to bow down to me one day. Okay? Now, if they already don't like you, why tell them that? What's the purpose of telling them that dream? Okay, now you get a second dream. The second dream talks about now the dad and mom are going to pay you homage. And you go tell your brothers and your dad. Okay? Now, is that, you know, it may be something's going to happen, but should he be telling that? Now, when you think about that, he then goes off on a, he stopped, we know about the dreams, then he's developed in obscurity. Think about it. He's sold into slavery. Brothers get, you know, put him in the pit, sell him, then he goes to Potiphar's wife, uh, into the Potiphar's house. He, but notice he's faithful. Potiphar recognizes it, puts him in charge. Then he, no fault of his own, he's thrown in prison. When he's in prison, what does he do? He's faithful. He doesn't. He's faithful to the Lord. He serves faithfully. Then remember, you have the dreams of the two. And he remember. By the way, God gave him the ability to interpret the dreams. But when he interprets the dream, what does he tell the one? You're going to survive. But when you get out of here, do what? Remember me. Remember me. Hey, I found a way out. Now, obviously, two years later, he finally remembers when Pharaoh has this dream, and he tells him. So they come and get Joseph. Now when Joseph get, tells Pharaoh, interprets his dreams, notice the difference that you have in Joseph. He says you need to find somebody who's wise that can handle these things. Before he tried to say, I did you a favor by interpreting this dream, now you do me a favor by getting me out. Joseph has no assurance that Pharaoh is not going to send him back to the prison again. Nor does he say, put me in charge. He's now 30. 13 years of development. But notice he's trusting. So in the end, in chapter 50 in verse 20, what does he tell his brothers? You meant it for harm, but... A total transformation that you had. The truth was there when he was 17. But God had to work on his heart. If they had bowed down to him when he was 17 down, what do you, or when he was 19 after they sold him into slavery, what do you think might have happened to his brothers? 
you know, you think about it. So when you think about it, you know, he, he was arrogant to humility. He's scheming to sovereignty. He recognized, God, you're in charge. But because of solitude, he, key on both of those, they were faithful even in the solitude part, in the silence. What about with Moses? You know we saw it last week and we know the story in it. His first 40 years, you remember he is rescued by Pharaoh's daughter. He's raised up in the ways of Egypt, obviously educated. And notice it said in chapter 7, he's mighty in words and deeds. And then all of a sudden, you remember he said he recognized, he thought the Israelites were recognized that he was the Savior of Israel. And he kills the Egyptians. It's interesting, he sees himself as Israel's savior, but it's not, and the time is now. Had they revolted with him, what would have happened? Had they, the Israelites left with him, what would have happened? Who had the weapons? Who had the military? Who had the chariots? It would have been a definite bloodbath. And who would have got the credit? You then go 40 years in the wilderness and when he had to flee, obviously he tried to do it my way in my time, which was wrong. He's now 80, and what job did he have? He's a shepherd, and what's the most despised job of an Egyptian? And what's God getting ready to ask you to do? To lead the Israelites, and people are nothing but sheep, Right? He's getting personal training. And you'll notice when you look at all the different ones of the plagues, when he went to Pharaoh, he only spoke what? What God told him to speak. He told him when to do it, he told him how to do it, and he did it every time. He learned obedience. To a such an extent that Scripture said he's the most humble man to walk the face of the earth. He wasn't that way when he was 40. That 40 years of solitude really helped with Moses. I think it's interesting. He goes from my way to my time to God's way and God's time. And God got the credit. And when they left Egypt, how many of them were slaughtered? And how much wealth of Egypt did they take? All of it. Because they did it God's way and God's time. But why wait 40 years? Because they needed the development. Moses needed the development. They needed to be at a place where they're ready. I think a lot of times we think that's a lot of wasted time of my life. God wants to develop us. And I think it's interesting when you look at it. What about David? How old was David when he becomes king? When he has the throne? He's 30. How old was he roughly when he kills Goliath? Teenager. Teenager, 17. Okay, so he kills Goliath. Had he become king at 17, what might have happened? Look at all the development that we've already seen when we went through the David with all the Psalms that he wrote during that time and the development that David has recognizing who is the true shepherd of Israel. What's my role as the king and my dependence upon the true shepherd? That all occurred during those 13 years. 
of development in David's life. I think it's interesting when you look at it, the slayer of men to a servant of God. Had he gone right away, it wasn't. He wasn't dependent. And when any time he tried to do it on his own, you notice what happened. Priests were killed. Things happened when he tried to do it on his own. And I think it's interesting for all of us. What about Elijah? It's not going to rain for three and a half years, and where does God take him? To the brook of Jericho. Solitude. How many of you want to just sit by a brook, watch it dry up, and eat food that ravens bring? <laughs> and what kind of food does a raven normally eat? You know, look, God could have had the raven bring him something that was uh, kosher, if you will. I don't know what he brought, him, but you're told to eat it. But when you think about that, he challenges. Uh, you think about it. So that's in 17 and 18. He challenges the Baal worshippers, and only the 400 show up. The 450 from uh, do not show up, and then he runs. He runs from Jezebel. But when God then, it's interesting when God then meets with him. He doesn't meet with him like he did in the past, with the fire, with the storm, and the rest. It's a still small voice. I think it's important for us to recognize that just because God speaks to one person this way doesn't mean He'll speak to you the same way. But it's interesting, God then changes His course and says, oh, you're not the only one. There's 7,000 who haven't fallen. And He now wants Him to anoint three different people who God's going to use. He has a new job for him. But if He's not listening and quiet, would he have heard what to do next? And I think it's important. A lot of times we're so busy that God can be yelling at us and we cannot see what God wants us to do next. And how many of you would like to try to fill Elijah's place? Or how would you like to fill Moses' place? So you think about it with the drought. So he's overwhelmed of self-pity and he then gets rest and he's redirected. How of us, rather than quit, need to rest so we can be redirected? And a lot of times people quit when they simply need to be a way to rest. And what does God want? You know, think about it. The, uh, the other one I want us to think about, what about the disciples? In, in Mark chapter 6, if you remember, he appointed the 12, sends them out, and they come back and they're relating all the things they did. And then says in verse 31, that it, they are so crowded and so many things going on that they didn't have time to eat. And it says, Jesus said, come away to a lonely place and rest a while. Why? Things are going great. Look at all the ministry. Look at what's going on. And I've, you're either going to wear out or you're going to rust out. But there's a third option. Gene and I had a professor in college brilliant man, I mean, knew the Bible, and he'd study all the time. He'd be up till 2, 3, 4 in the morning, come back to school. But every semester, physically, he would break down, and he'd miss a couple, a week or two of school. Then, So the times you stayed up to do all this, you just lost it because now you have a, you know, you don't have class, you can't do stuff because you're, you're wearing yourself out. You have others that rust out. But I think a third of you know, what I mean by rest out, they're never used. 
Now you take stuff that's never used and you try to use it, it doesn't work very good. But what about tempered? What is tempering for? When you take steel and you temper it, what does it do? It means you're heating it, but how high do you heat it? Okay, but, but you don't want it to melt, but you temper it, but what that allows, it allows you to be able to machine it. But also what it does, it allows the cracks, it builds up a resistance to where you won't have the cracks that take place internally. How many of us need to where we don't fall apart from within because we need that tempering? And Jesus knew the disciples needed it. But if they didn't get it, physically they were going to fall apart. And have, you look at in Paul's life later on. All of a sudden he's in prison. But he writes epistles that he would not have been able to otherwise. And so I think it's important. Do we take the time to be alone or when God sets us apart, what did John do when he was on the island of Patmos? And he's in a time of solitude and God reveals the book of Revelation. So we all need solitude. So think about it when you look at it. It could be like Paul, we can need to be transformed from within during that time. It could be like Joseph when we need to basically go from being arrogant to humility and recognize God's sovereignty. It could be like Moses, my way or my timing to God's way and God's time. It could be like David, the slayer of many. Everybody's praising him. To a fleeing, you're the shepherd. When you want to take Saul out, you will. I'm not going to. I'll let your time in. Elijah, need that self-pity, redirected the rest to know what to do. And obviously the disciples, they needed some tempering, needed to kind of get some rest. All right. So how many of you agree you need some solitude? How many of you are going to plant it this week? How many of you are going to plant it? Now I didn't say how long. Maybe it's five minutes. But we all say we need it. But how many of us, if we don't plant it, what's going to happen next week, week after, a month from now? It's not going to happen. If we don't, God will plant it for you. We'd love for you to come and visit with us and fellowship with us. We're located at 8263 North Owasso Expressway, which is on the east side of Highway 169 North, between 76th and 86th Street North. We have coffee and fellowship from 8.30 to 9 Sundays, followed by Sunday school for all ages from 9 to 9.45, and our Sunday morning worship service is from 10 to 11. We likewise have a Wednesday night service for all ages from 7 to 8. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times, and in every way the Lord be with you all the time.